0: Hello and welcome to the Emotional World podcast, where we take a deep dive into the human condition. And today's episode is a mix of listener requests and um, geeky excitement so one of the things that I've been talking about um, on uh, having a few conversations on Twitter with especially with um, Mr Nicky is his Twitter handle Nick Ribeiro um, is the idea of impression management so our, our guest today is a professor at Manchester Metropolitan University she knows more about everything than I could ever possibly dream to know um,
1: I'm not sure that's true but thank you
0: well I don't know you do amaze me with your knowledge, um, and also somebody that I've known for nearly six years, I think now, um, having first hey, met yeah. in uh, in a hotel, no, not a hotel, in a training venue in Central London in 2011. So, as she's already spoken anyway, so let me introduce properly, Professor Dawn Archer.
1: Thank you for that lovely introduction, and thank you for inviting me onto your podcast.
0: That's all right. I'm very excited to have you, um, partly because. Um, we've done some research together so um you were my supervisor for my msc project and we've done some um co-authored a paper off the back of the that, which i'm very excited about hopefully fingers crossed that gets accepted um but also you were the person that introduced me to a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today so um in terms of it's that my fault. It, well yes but i'm pleased <laughs> that it's your fault i'm happy that okay. it's your fault in that way so that that works for me Well, we um, will
1: disagree once with
0: finish the podcast yeah, yeah i hope so and, and the other thing we, we need to be really careful of today is time because um you and i can talk for about this stuff for a long time so we'll, we'll have to make sure that we uh that that we bring it back um if we if we're starting to get over like the two hour mark that might be a bit too much okay <laughs> okay so um one of the things that we, we want to talk about today is uh is impression management but um before we go there um i like to to do um, something that it was introduced by Georgie Nightingall so she was on episode 4 of the podcast and is also somebody that, that Dawn knows where um, uh, she, we ask a different question to get a different conversation to begin with and then we can kind of bring it back afterwards. So um, my question for you then Dawn because I haven't prepared you for this so you don't know what this question is going to be is um, what have you craved this week? Oh,
1: Chocolate Chocolate and the reason is, um, I've I've hit that point where you you have to make more of an effort in life, and so I've bought myself um, a series of DVDs, which some people might have heard of, called Payo. So it's a mixture of Pilates and yoga. Oh okay. And she's um, she's fun to watch, to be honest. She's um, an incredible um, woman with lots and lots of vitality. So. Uh, when you're doing this, she's also encouraging you to eat well, and I do try and eat well, but every now and again I want some chocolate.
2: Okay.
1: Is that you see? You wanted a very academic answer. No, no chocolate's you? fine. Uh, so, nice what um,
0: what type of chocolate?
1: Um. Ooh, good question. I don't like dark chocolate. Okay. Um. So I like um, milk chocolate. I like uh, truffly chocolates. Uh, white chocolate's lovely and um, any chocolate that the grandchildren might have that looks tasty because they're eating it would be lovely so so basically I'm um, not that fussy so long as it's not dark chocolate
0: ok ok uh, so I, um, I've i been craving sugar for the last few days so uh, for about, I think it's about two months now I've been on a, a refined sugar free diet so mm-hmm. I would say kind of 80, 90% of what I eat doesn't have any refined sugar in. So it's got lots of natural sugar in, so fruit smoothies and um, stuff like that. But, you know, bread that's sugar-free, which is actually quite hard to find. You'd be surprised how um. hard it is to find sugar-free bread. Um, so, yeah, refined sugar-free. So yesterday uh, um, I was having a challenging day and so I decided to feed my sugar um, craving and I ate a 119 gram bag of giant Cabris Buttons. And I felt both wow. better and sick afterwards as a result.
1: I was going to say, did it help you to feel better?
0: It did. Yeah, it did. And, but, but my body's not used to having that much sugar in one go. So it was a bit like, whoa, where's all this sugar come from? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so did you have masses of energy or did it go the opposite way?
0: Uh, no, well, I was really low in energy. So I think that was what was craving it. I was, um, yeah, I was really, really low in energy yesterday, finding lots of things difficult to do. Um, so I felt more energy for, I guess, the usual kind of sugar rush and then crash mm-hmm. uh, afterwards. But the sugar rush was to get me through putting two children to bed. I managed to get, use that to get me through putting two children to bed and then I could crash, knowing that they were in bed and asleep and, and I didn't have to do anything else. I could just let the let the crash happen and be okay with it.
1: And just make an excuse to stay on the settee then?
0: yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So um, we're talking about impression management today. Yeah. My opening question then. Do you think that was uh, so? What have you craved this week? Mm-hmm. What what impressions does that kind of manage? Do you think, or how does how do you think that might affect people's impression management in response to uh, a question such as this?
1: Well, the first thing it did for me, because it, it's different people's. Expectations and impressions have been managed. Okay. Um, so for me, it was quite fun. And, and given that you mentioned Ms. Nightingale, I thought, okay, that's such a typical question of her.
0: Uh, <laughs> so I, I primed you, did I?
1: Yeah. So okay. um, some of it was, was me making associations. Um, I think in terms of impression management, if it's beyond me and it's for your audience, they yeah. start to see me less of the kind of person you introduced me to as. Um, and more of someone that, oh, look, she almost sounds human. She wants chocolate too. Um, And so it gives you and me an opportunity to determine whether or not it's a much more informal type chat or do we take it the other way? And and obviously what you're anticipating is what do I say in response to that kind of question? Am I someone who will open up a little bit? Am I someone who will go more formal? Uh, And so there's lots and lots of things attached to that one question which I think is quite good for podcasts like this
0: thank you I'll take the uh, I'll take the compliment as well um,
1: without the moderation quite good <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, because we've had a few questions that uh, like that, so the the one I asked in the last podcast that we broadcast was, uh, "What makes a a, the perfect travel partner?" Um, And again, I think, was it a good might been a good travel partner actually as opposed to perfect? Because I think again they create kind of two different, um, they create two different impressions. So, so I guess um, then, if I was to summarize, would it be fair to say that impression management is something that people can do in response to say a question but also impression management can be done in a question that's asked as well
1: absolutely impression management is if if we're talking about strategic impression management and we'll come back to why I've said that in a minute okay. we're talking about goal directed activities so we're doing something for a reason and impression management in that case is about controlling the information that we're giving in order to influence the impressions of, in this case, an audience. Um, And so you're doing lots, you can do lots of different things as part of impression management and you can aim it at lots of different things as well. So it might be that you want to shape your audience's um, view of this conversation or of each other. Um, And there's lots of other things you did even before the question, which signaled that we knew one another, um, that we've worked together. So there was lots of other clues in there for the audience as well that begins to influence how they see how we interact together. Um, But it could also be about one another. We could be doing impression management for self-presentation reasons as well, which then means your information about yourself is in order to get people to see you. Um, in a certain way or have a certain attitude towards you Um, and you do that by giving information about yourself and that's something else you also did as part of your introduction
0: i did i did so so um well there are a few things in there then so first we talked about being strategic where you're trying to achieve a goal or aim um, uh-huh. But also then latterly you, you talked about its links with uh, with self- presentation and and I, I guess if I if I try and put myself in the audience's shoes then I, I wonder if I want to try and extrapolate maybe some of those terms a little bit more okay. so so I can so if I go back to the strategic bit then so you said if we treat impression management as a strategic thing, so that implies or presupposes that impression management can be not strategic
1: I, I think that a lot of the times, especially because um, I think most of your podcast is devoted to thinking about emotions in workplaces and so um, in workplaces it's probably the case we're thinking about how we're coming across more than in maybe more familiar settings like at home um, or in the pub or at church, wherever it is that we congregate, but then um, even in the workplace, depending on who you're with, there'll be those times when you're not actually thinking that much about how you're coming across so that's how people make faux pas for example that they're, they're not thinking about something then suddenly uh, something happens and then they are very aware of what kind of impression they're making so I think we have to allow for the fact that um sometimes we influence people's perceptions and we don't mean to lots of times we're influenced and trying to influence people's perceptions and, and we're doing it deliberately and so strategic helps us to identify when do we put some thought into it and therefore choose particular tactics
0: hmm. so so impression management then is something that we do all of the time whether and sometimes that may be conscious or deliberate or strategic and sometimes it may not be yes most of
1: the for most of the people who write on impression management they're normally talking about situations where there's some, uh, there's at least some thought in it. Um, as what I'm allowing for is that you will sometimes put much more thought into it and sometimes less thought into it. Okay. But at some level you have thought about how to dress yourself, how to uh, wear your hair, um, whether or not you're going to wear jewellery, whether or not you're going to wear perfume. So at some level we are aware of how we come across to others and our actions whether they're because of habit or for other reasons are shaped by us wanting to make a certain impression
0: okay so so i can think of two examples where um because i'm going to pick up on clothing in particular so i can think of two examples where where i've I've done that and done two of the things that you've talked about so far so one was one was a faux pas and the other uh-huh. one was a, was kind of strategic. So um, the strategic one was uh, I was doing a piece of work with uh, with a client where we were running a an impact. A, 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 try that again. So we were running a talent management program about so people that have been identified as having high potential within the organisation, and the theme of the of the program was around their their impact and their influence so the extent to which the kind of impacts they had on other people and then the extent to which they were able to influence so for the first workshop first formal workshop um i and this is a financial services client so tends to be quite formal in its dress code and some of the rules and regulations so i arrived in um, jeans with rips in with a t-shirt and with a pair of Ray-Bans on, on my face which I then kind of lifted from my eyes to put on top of my head as I approached the security guard at the desk um, and, and as, as the security guard, well, wasn't the security guard it was the receptionist, looked me up and down, she wrinkled her nose up in disgust at me, it was great um, but that was very much a strategic choice because I I, I wanted to create a particular impression um, okay. uh, so because I wanted to see how people within the office and then the people that were taking part in the programme would respond to me being dressed in that way and what would that do to my credibility and because I wanted to make a point about the the extent to which you choose about the impact that you have, so similar to what you were saying just now. Uh-huh. So the second example is really similar, where I was in London on a, on a day off and I was wearing shorts, t-shirt, sunglasses I got a call from a client to say can you come into the office are you in London today and I said well I am yes but and if you want me to come into the office then I can and this was again in the city so uh, as I arrived at reception um, a lady came and approached me and said do you want me to sign for something and I said pardon she said do you want me to sign for something have you got like a delivery or something to to drop off and I said oh no I'm here to see the manager and director and and again this was a surprise and then a kind of a look up and down moment where she was like what steve and i was like yes, steve oh uh, okay and then she went off and and sort of found him and came back so uh, similar kind of attire i guess but um with with the different levels of deliberateness that goes with it
1: yeah yeah i mean in one case you were making yourself available um at a time that wasn't opportune for you Uh, and so did you tell the person that okay i'm gonna turn up but i'm not exactly dressed as i would normally be or did you wait to surprise him
0: no i told steve i was i was in shorts and t-shirt and okay.
1: so you, you'd almost covered yourself because you had the permission if you like from him oh no no that's not a problem yeah. um because when we break expectations we, we have to do some sort of face work and we'll come back to what face work is in order to um make sure that's okay basically yeah. um, whereas with the other um, example it's it's purely on physical appearance and you are um, I'm not quite sure what you were being but you were being someone who was breaking expectations but strategically so um, yes. and I'm assuming that's because you wanted to see how people responded when you walked first walked in the room yeah. um, to how open they were and all of those other things that you, you get from that but absolutely we have expectations that are based on what do people look like who do x and when those expectations are broken you will often see interesting facial expressions on others as they try and work out why is this person looking like that Mm. and saying who they are um so yes um interestingly impression management isn't just about influencing people but it's also sometimes um working out what are people's expectations and do we want to go along with those expectations or are we into breaking those expectations for whatever reason?
0: Okay. So so firstly I want to congratulate both of us on the fact that we managed fifteen minutes and twenty four <laughs> seconds before we mentioned the concept of face. So that But we
1: didn't go straight away and explain what it is either. No, I
0: know, I know. Um, uh, Why and the... Did the... <laughs> um and and then I uh, uh, mean I can't
1: say what it is now. Well, uh, so, I, apparently you talk about it a lot, so everyone will know
0: what well, it is. So so yeah, the people have heard about it. Before. So uh, regular listeners will have heard about it. You know, long time friends of the show. Uh, to use a classic okay. radio phrase, I would know. If someone's new to the podcast, then, then they may not, so we'll come back to that. But I also said I wanted to come back to self-presentation, so I'll add that to my list of, uh, of things to come back to. So earlier on, um, so just now we talked then about the strategicness of um, how you can use clothing as an example for impression management. Mm-hmm. So yep. let's let's go back to the, the notion of self-presentation then. So tell us more about self-presentation.
1: Okay. um, In terms of the difference uh, because it's still a form of impression management but okay. in this case um, what you're doing is consciously thinking through how people or others um, because it could be an organisation and um, taking on board what you want them to about yourself so Goffman talks about a line for example effectively self presentation is about you shaping the attitudes and behaviors uh, of whoever is important at that time by you giving um, information to them in such a way that it, it enables you to present the version of the self you want to give. So that could be, in an interview context, you would want to give the best self, or often what we call the idealized self, because um, it's unusual to walk into an interview context and and start telling them everything they should know about you. And you you can be a bit lazy on a Monday because you like to go out on the Sunday. And so that might mean you're a little bit late into work, and you're not really into working overtime. So they're going to have to make sure they pay you a little bit extra if they ever want you to do overtime. You you don't do that version of you, um, whatever that version is. You do the version of self that you hope will get you the job.
0: So is that is that a form of deception then? Because you're not giving, you know, you're not sharing your your whole self.
1: I think that most, um, especially um, as I've been an interviewer often, and as an interviewer I'm very aware that I have to sift the information that I'm getting, so you would understand that interviewers in front of you are wanting to give themselves the best opportunity to get the job, but that sometimes means I have to account for the fact that their best version of self or their idealized self might not actually match. What they're like day to day, and so an interviewer's job often is to work out why is this person telling me this. Um, One of the things I would look for, for example, when interviewing people is if they use a lot of we, and they're describing what they've achieved. I often want to go back and ask, um, you know, not as directly as this, but what part of the we did you do? Yeah. Um. So that I understand that. Um, they can explain genuinely what their part was and I'm also looking at that point which part do they give to someone else as as their part of it because you, you don't necessarily depending on what the job is want someone who only wants to look good themselves and isn't a team player for example so I can get a lot from listening to what people tell me and then working out questions and we started with a question from you but questions that allow me to gauge okay idealized self but where does that fit when i'm thinking about how you can do team with others for example so am i looking for complete truth in an interview i wish i was um but often um it's the case that you allow for someone to use hyperbole to exaggerate slightly um but my favorite film for for this reason um is um the um, I've forgotten the title it's the one that he talks about happiness in the pursuit, in the pursuit of in, happiness in the pursuit of happiness so it's a dad who wants to have a better life for himself and his son and he's been begging to have an interview and um, he ends up turning up for the interview to, we've been talking about clothing he turns up for the interview in um, clothing that he's been painting in. he's actually slept in these clothes overnight because he ended up in a, a police cell for something that was nothing to do with him um, and he ends up going to the interview looking um awful and so probably got some of the responses that you got from the receptionists yeah okay uh, when you turned up and he has two opportunities at that point uh, the character chris gardner and this is apparently based on a, a true event or life like event a life like event yeah mm-hmm. and he decides to he knows, he, in terms of impression management, is on the back foot. He's turned up for a high-profile job. I think it's in finance. Um, and everybody else is, is wearing suits. Every time he's turned up to this company, he's always been in a suit. So he's set up expectations that he's a very smart person, intellectually and physically. And therefore, he's, he's earned himself the right to have a job. And he now turns up looking... I think he's described as a binman in the film. And so he chooses at that point. He has to do... Uh, damage limitation control and he, he goes for the truthfulness approach and he starts to say you know he could have used hyperbole he could have exaggerated he could have come up with a list of all the qualities everybody wants in in this kind of person and then says why he's got them and he says but there's no point in doing that so what he's going to do basically is tell them the truth yeah uh, and in the film it works um, and so bold truth strategies apparently work in certain situations when you want to create an impression that maybe is slightly against the one that's expected or slightly against the impression you've made up to that point so can truth happen in interviews yes does it happen I'd say most of the time if we allow for the fact that we, we've asked this person to come in and brag about themselves
3: yeah.
1: and talk about an idealised version of self so we shouldn't be surprised that they might embellish some of the facts
0: and and there's this i say does i don't that's not actually my question because i think i I know it does what i get interested in then is the way that self-presentation transfers itself across domains so we've we've very much talked in a in a face-to-face realm so far you know using examples of job interviews and arriving offices and and that sort of thing but if you if you then transfer that across to say social media um there was a, a a a blog post that that stuck really stuck with me this week so it was it was world mental health day on i think it was tuesday uh and uh, a lady called karen tego did a blog post which contained the number of photos um that said this is a photo of uh, somebody who's depressed this is a, but it was somebody with a great big beaming smile this is a photo of some you know and it was a, a sequence of photos with explaining the mental health challenges that that she was facing at the time and i'll put a link to that post in the in the show notes um but the, the extent to which the idealised self is projected across, say, social media versus what might be, you know, the, 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 how somebody actually is. So the degree of self-presentation and impression management, therefore, that goes into that uh, always strikes me as being quite high.
1: Very high. And it's a nice link, actually, to what face is. Uh, very simply, face is a behavioural mask. It's the... We have to manage conversation when we interact with one another, and when we do that, we often put on um, masks that suit our role. And so, faces is no more than putting on a face that suits the role or suits the situation. Now, what's interesting about your example is that it, it suggests to the audience that we're in a society where mental health is such that we don't talk about it and so people feel um for one reason or another that they therefore put on a mask and a mask in this case was the smile
0: yep yeah i agree um i i I always struggle with the idea of a mask for for explaining face um partly because i um, i don't like the connotations that it brings so the um but the, the only other way I've, I've found to explain it and, and I don't and I've never I don't think I've ever shared this with you actually um, is have you ever watched the Lego movie?
1: Yes.
0: So you know the police officer who Oh the one who has
1: two sides to his face.
0: Absolutely. So uh-huh. so that that that's you know that's the, the, the way that I describe it. I say I can't say the way because I don't always do it that way but that's a way I describe it in terms of saying you know the, the face is always yours. So you know in There are some people that do avidly pretend to be somebody else you know they take on complete other personas use other you know use other names and and all those sorts of things but for the majority of people in interaction in day-to-day life each each face that you take is is your own face it just changes depending on who you who you are sorry who you're with where you are and what you're talking about um and, and and i like to use the lego movie as a way of describing it, as opposed to thinking about it as interchangeable masks, because I think there's there's connotations that masks have that I that I think for for the majority of time that you're that I'm exploring face or face work with people that I work with, that I'm I'm not sure if those connotations are true. Do
1: okay, you, I think though we should allow for the fact that some, sometimes it is a mask. So in the example of the picture, um, it's a mask. Someone's yeah, trying yeah, okay. yeah. to hide. Um you know sadness or mental health issues Um, they talked about depression behind a smile and so um, masks also allow you to think about actors taking on roles and sometimes we might feel as though depending on what our uh, roles are that we're doing different things so if I think about some of the roles I have I'm a mum I'm a nana um I'm a I, I do consultancy work. I work at a university. I teach. I train, and so there's lots of different uh, roles. And and sometimes it can be helpful to, as you say, put on that face, um, as opposed to another face, so that I'm 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 staying within role, if you like, or, yeah. or doing what actors do. So, um, I would also say as well that the connotation itself is picking up on whether something like deception. Is inherently yeah. evil, and um, I think if we're open about what deception actually is, deception is d- deliberately um, behaving in such a way that we give one impression when we know something else is true. Yeah, we we can do that for malintent purposes, and and therefore lead to severe negative consequences for others. But we can also do that um, for altruistic purposes so it isn't necessarily that the deception is wrong it's the motivation behind the deception yeah that we might regard as wrong or right
0: yeah oh, i i i get that you know and the, and there are times where um you know it, it 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 helps to do that i remember on a um on the last podcast that's gone out with um jessica robles from uh Loughborough, uni she talked about how in her um in some of her research into conflict people use misunderstanding as an out. you know so as, yeah. a, as, a, as a way to get out of a, of a conversation they'll say they misunderstood when they may not have misunderstood actually they just wanted they decided that that, our, that conflict isn't one that they want to have now isn't one they want to have at all so they, they frame something as a misunderstanding as a way to um, as a way to get out of it
1: and in our case if we wanted to link it to face we'd talk about it saving face yeah absolutely and and we could do the saving face for ourselves um, because we don't want to have an argument, and um, we could also argue that we're saving the face of the other because we're we're giving them an out as well as ourselves an out. Yeah. Um, because we, you know we're not saying they have to listen to anything more than us just apologising. So actually, it's quite a, a neat way of getting at some things by saying, oh, you know, it's my fault. I've misunderstood. Sorry about that. Yeah.
0: Oh, I thought you were trying to say, say this when actually you were trying to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So you you, you talked about um, when you were saying how we need to, we can't ignore the fact that some people do put on masks. Within that uh-huh. um, section, when you were talking then, you also talked about maybe thinking about it as an actor. And one of the things that, um, if I remember my references correctly, there's me doing some impression management before I speak, um, uh, is Goffman talks about things being foregrounded and backgrounded. Um, yeah. In terms of so when you talk about being you know you listed all those things earlier on um, about being a mum a nana a consultant a someone who works at university interesting you didn't call yourself a professor which I find interesting um, but you, you you so what can happen at different times is things will, will be can be foregrounded or backgrounded so you can choose what to put in the foreground so you can you can choose to say right I am going to bring these aspects of myself to the fore because these are the Uh things that right now I want you to see and I'm going to leave other things at the back Um, so if I may um, I'm trying to think of a uh, of a recent example to make it current and that's nothing coming to mind so i'll come back to that in a minute but the, but it could also be that other people will pull things to the foreground that you don't like so or you don't want to be in the foreground at that particular moment in time so one of the things that sticks out for me and that one is i was at a, a children's birthday party so it, uh, my wife and i godparents to um to three children it was one of their birthday parties and there was i don't know 10, 15 other adults there and I'd introduced myself as a, as a trainer who specialises in people and communication uh, and, and left it at that and then Ange um, my good lady told everybody what I actually do in the studies that I was completing at the time which then prompted a huge change in interaction style in, in the way that the people interacted with me because they then found out that I studied deception, that I specialise in reading, you know, and analysing behavior and all that sort of stuff. It completely changed the way that I could oh. interact with those other people. And I didn't want those parts of my face foregrounded in that kind of situation. And and Andrew's doing it because she was proud of me. You know she's yeah. she's proud of what i was doing and, and the studies i was completing and that fact i was you know soon to graduate from my master's and all this sort of stuff but from a selfish point of view i was like, oh no i don't want people to see that right now that's not what i want at a kid's party
1: yeah i, I like that to sometimes um i will use the prof title and sometimes i won't and mm-hmm. sometimes i'll tell people um it's getting harder now that uh, people know what i do but it When they didn't, I used to describe it in really general terms, um, not least because I'm really interested in people and if they end up knowing what you do, they think you're doing it to them all the time yeah uh and then then don't want to talk to you so i much prefer to talk to people and that means asking them what they do uh and again for some people titles uh so titles are a a form of, of impression management and they also are a form of influence so they're linked with the authority principle and in some situations you can understand why they would work really well and in some cultures particular they work really well but in other situations and other cultures they can have an adverse effect so i think some of impression management and self-presentation is knowing your audience
3: yeah
1: so it's not just knowing your goal and and knowing what it what is it that you want to achieve right now but knowing your audience um but equally the example that you've just given i really like because it, it explains to us that communication isn't as easy as we think it is so um, when you read the impression management books they they provide all the techniques and strategies and um they're always neat examples and with the research i do i i know it's really messy because you'll have well-intentioned people like Ange who want to brag about their husbands who suddenly Put a different slant on something, yeah. um, and so it's it's allowing for the world to be messy, allowing for workplaces to be messy, allowing for the fact that just because you want to do X, doesn't mean everybody else shares that desire, and so your impression management might need adjusting, if you're doing impression management because um, it, it's not c- quite coming across as well as you hoped, or you might decide that actually this level of strategy isn't the right time and what we should be doing is focusing on rapport or you might decide you just don't want to cooperate and it's not up to you to have to work this hard all of those things feed into how people actually interact in a workplace setting
2: yeah
0: yeah so i was going to say something and you you um and what you just said that made me think of something else as well so um Let's go. Let's go for let's go for recency first rather than primacy. So, um, okay. um, you mentioned about people don't won't cooperate anymore. So that's building on, uh, on this idea of the cooperative principle. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Do you want to tell us? Do you want to say more about that?
1: Um, how technical do you want me to be?
0: Uh, be as technical as you like. <laughs> okay.
1: Um, and so, some uh, very clever person called Grice decided to try and explain how it is that we manage to cooperate most of the time with one another. And so he identified a cooperative principle that basically tells us that there's a reason why it's worth us paying attention to other people and assuming that the information they're giving is relevant, that it's just enough information to be understood, that it's not being said in such a way that you can't actually work out where someone's going with it, and it's the truth. And those four underpinning principles are identified as maxims. So we have um, a re- relevance maxim or a relation maxim, which is the be relevant, a quantity maxim, which is
2: Give provide off.
1: the right amount of information, not, not too little that you can't understand, not too much that you don't know where it's going, which then feeds into manner that you say something, and he talks about the you say something in such a roundabout way, everybody's forgotten what the point was, um, and then the truth. And the one that mattered to him greatly was underpinning all of them is the truth. This idea that for most communication, most of the time, it works for us to assume that we're being told the truth. So if we ask for directions, it makes sense that we don't have to stand there and say, do you know what, is this person lying? Are they yeah, wanting yeah. And so there's, and, and then that fits in, if you know your psychology, to the notion of a truth principle or a truth bias. Yeah. That most of us, most of the uh, time, not only assume that people are cooperating with us, but that they're also telling us the truth.
0: They also turn us the truth. Yeah. And, and that's where, um, so in again, for the for a, for a long time listener to the show, they'll uh, remember the the example I've given before about somebody replying to the to the md with the line i'm on it so when asked for a direct question about will this thing be delivered on time and on budget the response was i'm on it um to which they were you know playing to the truth maxim in terms of uh, and and cooperative you know so that in terms of there being enough information to say to to imply yes I, yes it will be but not so much information that um you know, th- it was overly stated so and what that person was doing was using strategic ambiguity as a way of not giving the positive clear affirmation of yes but giving indication of, of progress and, and, and um, diligence and efforts to to deliver
1: it's a nice example because you could argue that it's a it's a definite flout of the quantity maxim because it actually doesn't tell us anything yeah um because what does that mean i'm on it um so we assume it's relevant. And, and we mean it to mean that this person's got everything in hand and, and we're using all kinds of metaphors to explain the world because that's what we do as well. Yeah. Um, but technically that person hasn't said anything, which is really interesting for me because it means there's plausible deniability. Absolutely. When needed because, you know, he, didn't act, he or she didn't explain what I'm on it actually meant. And if they're not asked and it's accepted... Yeah. Um, this is where you can do the strategically ambiguous thing, like saying, "Well, you know, you, you I, I'm sorry, you heard it that way, but you know, I didn't actually promise it next Wednesday." Yeah. When you thought I did.
0: Yeah, no, I agree, and, and that was my, you know, so my, the 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 end of the of the example is that the you know I I spoke to the MD afterwards. I said you need to go and check in because I, you know that person didn't give you the answer. You asked the direct question, and you didn't get an answer to it. so you need to go and validate you know what's happening just you know at least what you you think i need to go and ask if he's lying and i said no just go and you know say so tell me about the project. you know, tell me where we're at with it you know go and inquire what's happening and then it transpired that you know this yes there were things holding it up and he was the they were less sure whether it'd be delivered on time and on budget and then changes were made and it was um but the the point being about you know because in in the context of it which I didn't give you at the start was that question was asked as part of a a meeting of the operating committee so the individual sat there with all of their peers so the 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 likelihood that the individual would say no was really rare because of face you know so from a from a face point of view the in that example that what was being brought forward was that individual's competence face you know their competence to do their job and deliver their objectives and deliver their tasks was was brought to send not just like you know foreground it was center stage under all the spotlights Um, and so for the individual to say no would have been an incredibly hard thing for them to do
2: Um,
1: and I'm on it wasn't a lie no it wasn't absolutely I mean it's playing with quantity it's playing with information it's not Um, and the rest of it comes out when you go through the process of working out what the message is which also brings into play how much we give a message versus how much we give off a message Um, and for many of us we're hearing the message and we're not paying attention all the time to what other things are being given off because of how someone says something
0: yeah yeah i agree so one of the other things that you said earlier on... So I said I was going to go for recency when I was uh-huh. picking up on one. So the other one so we're was... we're going back to primacy now, aren't we? Well, so we're going back to... Uh, I don't, well, I don't think it was the first thing you said. But I can't remember which in which order it was. But anyway, so you talked okay. about um, how... Uh, I can't remember what you said now, but the, the note I wrote down was about how you might want to take a line that other people won't let you take. So they won't cooperate. That was where I got to. That was it. Okay. So we're, we're, so as well as the... the um, so we talked about using misunderstandings as, a, as an opt-out uh, from uh-huh. conflict. But you also talked about how people would cooperate, which is why, when I then asked you about the cooperative principle. So um, there, there are times where then in interaction where people will break that cooperative principle and from your experience and from your i guess research over time or from experiences that you've had are there do there tend to be reasons why those why they might refuse to cooperate or why people might say right i'm not going to play this game anymore i'm not going to i'm not going to cooperate anymore
1: it'll always always be context specific but in terms of how we explain it if we go back to the cooperative principle and you can flout the cooperative principle which means you're, you're playing about with one of the maxims, so your example was information, yeah. Um, in order to convey a certain message. Now, some of the time we can, um, in fact, some might argue that your example might be a violation of the cooperative principle as opposed to a flat, a and it comes down yeah. to what the person's intent was. When the person said that in that meeting, uh, did they want the other person to look for another meaning? Um, or, or were they trying to hide what was going on? And, and another example might help us see the difference. So yeah, um, if I'm in a room and I say, oh, it's um, hot in here and the temperature is terrible, it's really, really cold, you're going to look at what I've said and look at the context and think that that completely contradicts. And so in that case, you, you might look around the room and, and see what's going on and, and identify an open window and know that or assume that I'm using sarcasm to try and get that window closed yeah. um, now at no point have I actually requested anything to happen I've just said something that can be interpreted in a different way because of the context uh, and that's how sarcasm and irony work um, what happens if I'm hiding a message is that I don't want you to know Uh, for example, that I'm not telling you the truth. So I look to all intents and purposes on the surface as though I'm maintaining the cooperative principle. Um, So I don't want you to look for any other meaning as opposed to the one I've said. And the the trick to it is looking on the surface as though you're being cooperative when actually you're not um, but you want that to stay as hidden as possible because the assumption is that everybody's cooperating and everything's fine with the world. Okay. So one is hiding. it's viola- uh, you, you therefore violate it and you're doing it in secret. One is um, intentionally signalling f- that someone needs to look for a meaning other than what's been said.
0: Okay. And, and so when, when somebody doesn't cooperate, for whatever uh-huh. contextual reason that might be, um, my my interpretation then, or my guess then, or my experience would tell me—I don't know which one of those 3 it is that that incumbent within that then is is a face threat to. So let's say I'm having an interaction with you, and then you you start to refuse to cooperate on a particular point that that we're talking about, uh-huh. um, that it's likely that I would interpret that as a, as a threat to my face because you're not, as, a, as an individual, because you're not willing to interact with me in, in a way that allows us to for that interaction to, to continue smoothly.
1: It, it's interesting because both are to do with face. If you ask um, something, a question imposes... On someone's and therefore imposes on their face so we talk about um, if you're taking like a a strict Brown and Levinson approach we can identify negative face and positive face. Negative face is this um, idea or they use the term want, want to be um, independent, to be free to act as we want to, to not be imposed upon and positive face is this want that would be approved of or liked um, and if you ask me a question, the very fact that you ask a question means you're imposing on my negative face, my want to be autonomous. Okay. Um, so there's already face implications. Yeah. Um, so those face implications are things that uh, most of the time we deal with because we don't think about it because we hope that the questions are such that it's a cooperative conversation. But if I then suddenly choose to, you know what, I'm not doing this for whatever reason – Um, I could argue that um, I could make it known, I wouldn't use these terms because this is not normal practice in workplace settings, but I could make it known that that's impacted on my negative face and that's it. I don't want to have the conversation anymore. And by doing that, I then affect various levels of your face because i'm saying you're not a worthy person to communicate with i'm saying that you've done things that have imposed upon me and i'm now calling you out on those things so as soon as we start to be uncooperative there's lots of face that suddenly becomes much more explicit and we link it much more to potential threat but the, the the tendency for face to be involved is there all the time
2: yeah
0: it's interesting you say that um that might not be part of work, workplace communication and I I don't know if I agree with you, you know, so I can think of an example where I was running a team meeting and the 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 content of the discussion discussions all all ended up being around one individual's different objectives so we'd have a discussion about topic A and then B and then C, and they were all about this person's objectives. And so they kept taking the actions. And at one point they dropped their pad on the table, their pad on top of it and said, is there anything else you want me to fucking do? Um, yeah. And I was like, wow, okay. And well, you know, and it, it quite surprised me at the time because in my head I was just, well, these are just all parts of your objectives, So therefore you having all of these actions is just, in, you know, inherent in, in the tasks that you need to complete um you know I, I now now knowing what I know about face, I know that we are impinging upon yeah. their negative face wants repeatedly and sequentially over the course of a, of a I can't remember how long it was however many minutes that meeting was um but also not only were, were we asking for all those actions to be done, there's a, a wider implicature, wider implication that, their work is not up to standard because if their work was up to standard we wouldn't be having this discussion and they wouldn't be needing to do additional actions over and above and beyond what they're already doing
1: yeah so just to um make myself a little bit more clear because i don't think i was clear enough i do think those things are happening all the time in the workplace but i don't think that notions like negative face and positive face or even face are well known enough oh sorry people to say you know what Um, you're really impinging on my negative face I think they use other choice phrases instead uh, which were uh, much more to the point and direct Um, but in in terms of the workplace I think one way of looking at the workplace is that we set up um, consequences for face now what's interesting about it is we assume that's okay because we're paid but where the blurring of the lines comes into play and that probably is happening in your example as well is uh, what when is someone hearing it as part of their job and when is it somehow crossing over into something else um, or when is it undermining them um, and so there's a sensitivity I think around face in the workplace in particular because um, people are adopting face according to role so you mentioned competency face yeah. um, it, it's going to be a biggie in a workplace setting because most of us unless we want wanting to be fired um will want to appear as competent we might want to appear as expert you know depending on what our role is and so all of those things are in play and if if someone feels as though uh, that's been undermined or or it isn't being acknowledged enough um then there's consequences for our identity as well so we've linked um self-presentation and impression management to face but we have this also has identity implications for us because it's it's not just us that's been attacked. It's not just sorry, it's not just our face that's been attacked. If someone is impacting on us in such a way they're making us feel as though we're not competent, it relates to our identity in the workplace.
0: And and that's yes, and and that overlap of um faces, for want of a better phrase. Yeah. Um you know, so I think there's a there's a paper being submitted publication by Archer and Wilcox around the different types of face <laughs> that might be in play uh, in the workplace. You
1: mentioned this several times. So in terms of self presentation, second time. Second,
0: hey, whoa, would, whoa, hang on. You said several. That was only the second. That's okay,
1: what? I was also doing impression management. But anyway, <laughs> um, in terms of representational frames, would you like to just mention what that paper's about a little
0: bit? So, so what 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 I'm interested in then is the the interplay of those different types of face so let's say competence face is one but second oh. then you've got the the end indiv- the the in the individual sense of self so them their what their values their beliefs what they stand for and this might link back into to what you were talking about earlier in terms of the I- idealized self yeah. and the extent to which somebody's clear on that that kind of idealized self aspect um then you've got the 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 relationship relationship aspects so the relationships that they have with other people so in in the workplace in particular when somebody is going into an interaction with one or multiple other people they're they're bringing these different aspects with them so they'll bring with them their their sense of self and their values and beliefs and what they stand for they'll bring with them their competence for the role that they're there to do so often if you're in a meeting of different uh, of different people you're there because you have different roles or actions or tasks to complete but you also bring with you also bring with that the uh, the relationships that you have with all of those people so the things that you've, the interactions you've had with them in the past, but also the interactions then that can kind of foreshadow into the future. So in that paper in particular, then I was interested in what's what happens in appraisals and performance reviews. How do the how are these different types of face addressed? How are they you know where are they threatened or maintained or or, or enhanced depending on, on on what's what somebody's trying to do in the interactions that they have, and, and what we what we found or what I find was then is. That interplay of different types of face. So somebody might be trying to address one type of face, but is heard in another, or they might be trying to address multiple faces at the same time, and that's when the you know that's when interaction then gets really really complex. So if I think about one of the examples that we use was around a compliment. So you have line manager A, uh, and I've got recordings of line manager A's performance review with person one and person two, um, and when line manager A is doing person uh, one's appraisal or performance review, they say, I've got some good news. I've got a note to talk to person two about their time management and attention to detail. But thankfully, I don't have to talk to you about that. And and that was both in you know it's framed as I've got some good news, so it's being positioned okay. as a as a compliment. Uh, I th- I think it's heard as a compliment. There's a there's some nervous laughter in the middle, or what I'm interpreting to be nervous laughter in the middle, but it appears to be heard as a compliment. Um, but for me, it's, it's a fascinating way of going about it. So
1: Not, not least because if I'd call it face enhancement, yeah, but in, yeah. in terms of being face enhancement, there's also a potential face threat because this is somebody who's uh, presenting themselves. Um, so it's an act of self-disclosure. It'd be good to pick up on self-disclosure specifically. But in terms of self-disclosure, this person is saying, um, I am the type of person who will see this through. Um, thankfully I don't have to see it through with you Um, and so it it can be heard as face enhancement you're above that, you're doing really well, well done but it can also be heard as uh, but don't slip because if you slip I am the sort of person who will follow this through
0: but but it's also um, potentially face threat to person 2 you know, uh-huh. so because you're, you know, they're highlighting the deficiencies. So it's if, absolutely a face you know, threat to them. Yeah. Even though they're not. and even, One of the
1: interesting things about the work that we've been doing is that face work isn't just about the people who are present. It's about people who who are brought in to the interaction without necessarily being physically there.
0: Yeah, and and, and I'm going to take us away from that example for a second because I think then it links into impression management. And one thing I'd like to do soon is come back to. Yeah, can we like to to name or, or to label some some impression management strategies? I just want to share that. But um, so one of the things that that I think is fascinating in organisations is the way that impression management will be used to people who aren't present in the interaction. So I haven't this is you know I haven't got any uh, this isn't I think these are anecdotal examples as opposed to um, you know recorded examples where you will have two people saying, "Have you seen?" Have you seen Cliff recently? Have you seen what you know? What's going on and and everything that's happening and the way they're looking at the minute and the way they're acting at the minute? Have you seen that? Have you noticed what's happening and what's going on? And the other person goes, "No, I've not seen that." But then, then I primed to 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 look for that and go and find that. And then that 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 gossip then spreads. And what it does is it starts to create an impression of Cliff. That may or may not be fair, and Cliff may or may not have any idea that this impression is being created, yet um, things are being done, strategically or not, to change the way that that person is perceived, So, change the way that their, their impression is managed.
1: I think it brings us to, and I don't want to open this up because it's a can of worms, but just to note that a lot of the fake news works on that principle. That um, And if you're interested in um, this kind of work, um, you're also going to be interested in the kind of image restoration theories that are available for us to think about how do we restore an image once it's been broken. And that research, there's there's work by Benoit, for example, that points to the fact that it doesn't have to be true which is why I mentioned fake news but the the fact that it's said and especially if it's said repeatedly means that you have to deal with the perception Uh, and the perception can sometimes be more strong than whether or not it's a fact and we therefore see these days people spending huge amounts of money trying to uh, make sure that the image or the brand that they have is protected and when there's threats to it that the strategies that are in play so that they can somehow restore the image to a a much safer place because the consequences to businesses in particular but also uh, when you think about people in the public domain are huge um when someone starts a rumor regardless of whether it's true or not
0: yeah so I, i think about the um uh, I was going to use one example and then another one pops to So I'll go to the one. And I think about um, Tesco, what was it, five years ago, um, with the false accounting where they'd accounted for £250 million worth of revenue that that wasn't there. And then the subsequent um, uh, you know, re-repair or, sorry, restoration, I should say, to use the right phrase, the the image restoration then that went with it, both in terms of the, the distancing from the previous uh, CEO the um and and the the i would have to find some specific examples that I'll put in the show notes but the 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 way that that um the, the, the they worked hard to restore the image of that business yeah, yeah.
1: the um, benois would be a, a nice place to go and, and they call it image restoration or image Uh, repair. But there's lots of different things that you'll find where people have to, um, you can't ignore it. I mean, if you can ignore it, they will just ignore it and leave it. But when they have to do something with it, it it talks about how to do an apology and what makes the best apology. And if you can only, um, if you don't have to accept full blame, how do you do partial blame without sounding as though you're blaming something else? So how do you do blame shift without blame shifting or sounding as though you're blame shifting? So um, impression management will, if you read the literature, take you into these kinds of areas where when things don't go as well as we hoped, um, what do we do about it? How do we
0: make sure that we do something to repair our image? So if any of our listeners are in communications or PR, then that that may, may well be some interesting reading for them to do.
1: I am sure they could give us lots and lots more references to add that uh, to that as well. Okay. In terms of some of the techniques that they will employ, um, because it matters to maintain image.
0: So um, one of the things that we'll do uh, is I mentioned the show notes a couple of times. So for the, for the things that we've talked through, I've been making notes as we've been going, so that I can make sure that we make, we put references in to where people can go to find out more information. So, I I may pick your brains for uh, books or papers that, especially if they're non paywalled um, books and papers (laughs) that that might be uh, useful for people to go and find.
1: Okay, there's a couple of things as well, then, to to pick up on which might also be things for people to think about. Uh, Self disclosure, I mentioned, is one of them because there are. Uh, some interesting things out there, like uh, people like Hargie have written about, that there's, there's different types of self that we disclose. So we don't just disclose it. A, tr- a lot of people think that self-disclosure is, is just us sharing our true self. But self-disclosure can be a lot of different things, including this idea um, of regret. And so, for example, um, if you listen to people, they can give you um, ideas of where they are um, emotionally. So uh, a missed self would be, I could have been. Uh, A past self is someone along the lines of, I used to be. Um, Ought self is that notion of, I should be. Um, A feared self could be, I'm afraid of becoming. Um, There's all things that you can really do. And the the one that gives you most indication of, of, authentic self or true self is is someone who's talking about themselves as they really are but often it's difficult for most of us to open up to that degree so we we will revert to social self for example what others think I am um which is part of impression management expect self, this is what I'm supposed to do this is what I hope to be um, an ideal self we've already mentioned in an interview context where uh, you present the best version of you because yeah. that's the one you think is going to be most liked or most approved of. Can I also take it one more direction as well just in case that yeah, uh, thinking about your audience might be wide and varied. The other type of face work that interests me um, and I think it especially suits uh, what your podcasts are about is that sense of emotion because one of the ways that um, I think you can think about face work is is a a type of emotion work and so there's two ways we could do it, we could think about face work as our attempts to manage our emotions Um, and that, depending on whether we like behavioural masks or or your way of identifying it but We manage emotions as part of that process, as part of our roles, as part of our Lego man twisting from one face (laughs) to the other. Um, But then we have to allow for an emotion still happening to us unexpectedly. So um, Goffman talked about flooding out episodes, for example, where and I saw one uh, on on Breakfast TV recently where they started to talk about a story where a man had... um, caught a fish I'd wanted to kiss the fish uh, so that a friend could take a picture and then apparently and this is so unbelievable uh, but that the the fish apparently didn't want to be kissed and tried to get away and jumped into the man's mouth and he ended up swallowing it or part swallowing it ended up very very poorly and so they were telling this story that wasn't supposed to be funny Um, and the man had apparently had to be treated by paramedics, he was having um, some sort of cardiac arrest. So it was, very, it, it was a serious thing but the situation was, was so funny that um, one of the um, presenters was just laughing and so the other presenter started to carry on the conversation. So that would be a case of flooding out, You you suddenly experience a momentary exception um outside of your role so you're not doing a behavior appropriate to your role and obviously as a presenter they're supposed to keep themselves calm and collected at all times but she couldn't help it and she started to collapse and she was she was laughing and then she got herself together again and then she ended up taking the next story um we might burst into laughter at work because we're embarrassed by something or especially if it's not embarrassing to ourselves we might burst into tears because suddenly something's too much uh we might get really really angry so your example that you had before where the guy wants to know if you wanted to give him anything else to do yeah um they're they're all flooding out episodes and they're happening because suddenly with there's too much emotion to go with our role and so our behavior slips our roles uh our behaviour according to our role is, is inappropriate and we can do lots of different things at that point. If it's the person it's happening to, we have to somehow get ourselves together and we may or may not want people to come up and, and attend to us. It might be easier if they ignore us. Yeah. As the people looking on, we have to decide, Ooh, no, what do we do? What's happening? Um, are we going to go over and see if they're okay? Yeah. Which might draw more attention to the situation or are we going to leave it? Um, and so interesting the research suggests and I think there's a lot more ne- research needed in this area but it suggests that most of the time the behavior tends to get overlooked um, or it results in um, what we'd call a change in the interactional frame so yeah. you either completely ignore it or you go somewhere else with the interaction yeah. um because you can't ignore it and I th- and again m- maybe the type of workplace it is the type of personalities around the room all of those things feed into whether you ignore the person crying in the corner um or you change the interaction and go and deal with it
0: yeah i've seen a whole whole myriad of responses uh, from ending the meeting you know so has anybody so i think it was has anybody else got anything really urgent that we have to discuss now so everybody said no, and then everybody left, apart from the line manager who, uh, or the yeah. yeah, you know, and they, they stayed with the individual. I've seen just ignoring it and carrying on, you know, just kind of going on and completing the meeting um, without saying anything. Um, I've I've seen asking them if they, well, if somebody wants to leave and come back again, you know, so a whole a whole host of um, of uh, uh, of things. But yeah, is it, it it certainly create that 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 flooding out creates discomfort. For everybody involved, irrespective of whatever the emotion is that's flooding out, it creates a sense of of discomfort and unease.
2: Um,
1: Yes, but interestingly, what we we often see is the flooding out and and we don't see where it's been built up to. But the face work is, is probably, if we paid more attention to the face work, we'd see how people are seeking to manage Emotions and who's seeking uh, to do it in a way that seems to be more successful than the other. So that takes us back to this idea that we give messages and then we give off. Um, so when you were talking about the receptionists um, yeah. deciding whether you were appropriately addressed or not, you talked about, I think you said one of them had a surprise facial expression and the other one a disgust, I think yeah. you said. That's right. Um, so it you would think and and we have to be careful because we can never be inside someone's head so no. we don't know for sure what someone is thinking and feeling we, we get evidence from the different communication channels but yeah. given what a receptionist job is and i'll have lots of people telling me now that you're wrong they're not like this but the idea of a receptionist is to be helpful and you know to to wear a nice face and to keep their voice nice uh, and not to show disgust, in particular, to the people who are coming up to the desk, and um, so that might be, in that case, an example of giving off um, something. Yeah, their, their words are saying one thing, um, and their expression to you is telling you something else. And, and obviously, you've mentioned being a behavioural analyst. If if you're trained to look for those things, you you get evidence of things that someone's not intentionally given you and at which point you then have to think about well how do i use that evidence because technically they haven't it's not self-disclosure it's not what we were talking about previously no it's
0: not absolutely it's not
1: so so again what do we do Uh, flooding out is is everybody can see it
2: yeah
1: it's there and it's what do we do about it and when we're managing our emotions and we end up giving messages versus giving off signals, then it's what do we what do, we do, especially in workplace settings where there's ways of working. What do we do when we seem to be giving off either ourselves to others or picking up messages from them that weren't intended but potentially need dealing with? How do we deal with them?
0: And, and I think if... Um... I don't know if this is fair for me to say, but I've got the floor, so I'll say it. anyway. Um, so, I had a conversation recently with a with a colleague who lives who's moved out to Amsterdam, and she was asking about the podcast and how it was going and stuff. And one of the things that she said is, "I wish you'd do like a podcast about difficult conversations, you know, and how you can, um, you know, when it, when you have to go, you know, tell somebody that they're that they're um, smelly or they're." Uh, they've upset someone or they've done something inappropriate or whatever that is. How do you do that? Um and and I said th- some I said so for me there's two different things. So there's one thing which is where like it's uh there's been a there's been a definitive incident that's occurred. And one of the ways that you can do that is you can you can frame it that you're talking to a particular part of their face. So because I think one of the things that, that one of the concerns that a lot of people have, I know I used to have, and I was a manager before I understood all this stuff, was that somebody would take something really personally. So they would perceive it to be what I would now language is, they'd perceive it to be as a threat to their self-face. You know, they're, they're you know who they are as an individual, as opposed to in this meeting you did this and that was inappropriate because. Um. So by by framing it in a by by framing it to talk to a particular. A particular face can reduce the likelihood that it can, for want of a better phrase bleed out into some of you know it can be heard in relation yeah. to some of the other faces you can frame it in a particular way so it it goes into that but if it's a build-up over time you know if it's something that that performance has started to erode over time i so said the issue there is that people have been scared of doing face threat earlier on so actually what do, what's happened is that you've, you've built it um up to a point where you've now, you, you've now got to do a big face threat where you could have addressed it by doing a smaller face threat earlier on.
1: I think at that point, though, it's still retrievable. And I think we're listening to what the person's telling us. Um, and I was thinking about um, active listening recently for something else I was asked to do. And it amazes me when you look at most of the training on active listening that the bit that isn't spelt out and, and maybe because it's too obvious, but because it's missed, I'm often wondering whether people understand that that's the first thing active listening in, and that's to listen. Um, most of the models, if you ever look on um, Google and put in Google Images and look at some of the models that are used in crisis negotiation, for example, it, it's assumed that we all know that the first thing we do is listen, which means shut up and actually hear what the other person is saying. Yeah. And I think people tell us a lot things but because we're all really busy because we're all having to hit deadlines because there's all kinds of other things competing for our time we don't often listen as much as would be healthy for us to do so but if we do those people that are uh, disaffected those people that are struggling those people that have seen a deterioration in their um, level of work will be saying things that are a hook if you like yeah. a way in to maybe not have to have a full-blown face threatening um moment but be able to try and see it from their perspective try and see what the world looks like from where they are and the reason i'm saying that might be useful and i can hear my own managers talking in my head but if, if we spend time trying to see it from their perspective, we're then going to start the conversation a little bit more close to where they are. And we could even attempt to match some of their words. And that's not to stay there. So I'm not talking about doing sympathy and, and doing emotional contagion and everybody feels awful. I'm talking yeah. about hearing somebody enough to match and mirror a little bit and therefore move them to potentially seeing their life, their workplace, what's going on, a situation in a slightly different way, um, which won't be the same if you just go in and decide, all right, well, I should have said it a long time ago, but now the only option is for me to, you know, I just need to say it, and I need to say it as directly as possible. If the person will respond to directness, by all means go and do directness, but if this is someone who is signaling to you that actually the indirect approach will possibly work more, you'll know by listening to them and then you match your approach to them if you want them to have a better experience at work.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree.
1: But that takes time. And one of the things we don't have enough of in a workplace is time where I think we're too busy and we assume everything has to be done yesterday um, and therefore the people management is suffering
0: at that point so I I, I disagree I don't I, I think there is plenty of time I think there's a false sense of urgency that's created as a okay. as, as a as a as a way, so we we've alluded to some of Ciardini's influence principles a few times. So we talked about authority. Just now, you were talking about liking, um, in terms yep. of you know ma- you know matching language and matching um, preferred approaches and that sort of thing. So one yep. of the other principles is scarcity. So I, I think what what happens is um, we create an impression of scarcity, and we use time as the way to do that, and that then creates um, the the lack of. Uh, listening and the lack of quality and, and attention put into to those interactions, and okay. from a personal point of view, I think you actually make you know you, you end up being much more effective because you hear things and you can you can address things a lot earlier, easier, quicker, uh-huh. um, and it saves it saves stuff down the line. But I, I think there is a um, uh, a false sense of urgency.
1: Okay, so whether it's false or not, if we go back to what we said about Perception. If um, when I when I do um, mentoring, the the one thing people tell me they lack the most is time, and I agree with you. There's all kinds of time management implications behind that. But if if it's real, so they are literally don't have enough time, or they're up against it, or the deadlines are one after the other, or it's a perception that everybody wants it um, yesterday, and they're using the scarcity principle. Either way, that has to be dealt with. In order for people to then move into a different way of looking at either life or their workplace setting, because you can't move anybody into any new space unless they can see that what they believe right now um, can be changed.
0: So now we're opening up reality paradigms, and we're and we're and we're already one, one hour ten minutes into the podcast
1: we set ourselves a time that would be good given we've just talked about time and, and <laughs> we, should we set ourselves a time to stop talking
0: we probably should um okay well so I, I, we- and, and i guess it's um so i, I don't want I, i'm deliberately not going to open up reality paradigms because i think that that's a, a, a useful explanation to to get you back as a as a guest as a repeated guest for a second okay i'll podcast. talk about
1: him. I, I will talk about that with you willingly because I think it's important if we understand that how we look at the world seeps through our language uh, and we can help understand one another much better if we understand that we might be coming at it from very very different understandings of the world but yes it's a massive topic we'll leave that closed the other side of emotion work then just to finish off how face work and emotion work are linked um there's the there's the ei side that seems to be really popular at the minute so this notion of um, emotional quotient or emotional intelligence
2: yeah.
1: and there's the lovely altruistic side of it where you've picked up on this a lot when you've talked about your various examples it's it's this idea of if we can perceive the emotions of ourselves and others to the point of being able to use that emotional intelligence that we have to facilitate our thinking processes so we're not we're not in the emotion at the time and we're in what we call the refactory period and yeah. if we're going to be angry we're going to be angry we've we've got enough perception about our emotions work our own and other people's to think about and understand what's the best way of dealing with the emotion in ourselves and or others and that leads into managing the emotions so that's the positive side which i think is part of face work especially in a management context Okay. Where you are having to think about others, um, but equally, if we're going to really talk about the world, the way the world works, we also have the dark side stuff. Okay. And so, within the emotional intelligence literature, there isn't many people that talk about how those kind of skills and abilities can be used for um, self gain. Um so there's people like Kidulph and Mayer and again if you're wanting to make those available I'll let you know what the references are. But that would
3: they,
2: be
1: they've done some interesting stuff to, to show how people might disguise their own emotion for personal gain. And you asked for specific impression management strategies earlier. Yeah. And ingratiation is a way of doing that. So you um and I'll come back to different ways of doing it and then I'll say what the techniques are. But you you can disguise emotions. You can express emotions for personal gain, and the reason the reason that you do that is um, possibly because you've got more power, um, and so you can be the boss that comes in and shouts what needs doing, um, just because you're the boss. And but you're using emotions strategically. Still, you might um, get, you might stir up an emotion in someone else by um, and again, sense-giving is part of reality paradigms, but making the world look a certain way yeah. or misattributing something to someone. Um, so the gossip example fits in there. You might um, strategically control uh, information you know is emotion-laid and you know if you give out that information, someone's going to respond. And so you use it to your strategic advantage. So there's the, there's the let's all be nice people and let's think about one another and let's use emotion management to aid ourselves and others so we all behave appropriately versus how do we use the same skills and abilities to actually get something for ourselves and or for a company or, or for an organization and some of the work looks at what companies have done in order to get an advantage for example so it's not it, it should it won't be alien to people in various workplace contexts but it isn't something that we often talk about because the assumption is where emotion at work or emotion work is always about making it better for everyone.
0: So there's there's a couple of things I, I, I want to add to that. Then so one is um, that you can have or not you can have uh, as well as as well as gossip. So I used gossip as an example earlier on. I, I, th- I think secrets are, an, are another way within an organization that that emotion is used in a, in a dark side way so in terms of the, uh, and the and this goes back to some of the other things that we talked about so it brings in self-disclosure it brings it brings in face uh, and different and different aspects of face but it brings in face but it also brings in impression management and it brings in some of those um strategies that you were just talking about just there in terms of where you where you do a I've
2: heard. Yeah.
0: That and then and then you know and then you you do a. I'm not sure if I should tell you. oh well, I don't know. I shouldn't tell you, but but I really want to. And oh yeah, go on. I'll tell you. It'll be all right. I can I can trust you, can't I? I can trust you. Yeah yeah yeah. You can trust. Me. Okay. And then and then you you tell the secret.
1: Which is also interestingly enough using the scarcity principle, note because it it's it's information that's not available to everyone. And it's, you know, it's scarce in
0: that sense. So a lot of influence goes on when we do those kind of things. Yeah. And, and and then the, what I find interesting about that then is, and again, playing with some of the Giardini principles, is that I've had that done on me for a reciprocal perspective. So, yeah. and, the, and this is why I think it was strategic, because the information that w- was shared, which for me was you know, inconsequential. I didn't think it was a big secret. I, you know, something that, that I'd, I'd heard, but I didn't think it was a big secret. But it was it was framed and made out to be this really important thing. Uh, and then shortly after, I was asked to share some information that I also knew was delicate and sensitive. And the the, the, the psychological pressure that I felt to disclose, plus the pressure that I received from the other person to disclose... In terms of, the, come on, Phil. I've told you absolutely
1: because um, they went first. Abso- so yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely. Yeah. For, for you uh-huh. know, so that that reciprocalness um, was there, and I was like, I'm being manipulated. I'm being, you know, my my emotions are being played with because you know there was. I I now have guilt. I have anxiety, uh, and the, and these have been created by by a situation that I think has been constructed and construed in such a way to try and elicit information from me that I don't want to give.
1: Your choice of words is really interesting as well because um, we talked about influence, and then you talked about being manipulated. And again, there's another podcast there in terms of um, helping work out or tease out the differences between when something's influence. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we normally associate influence uh, as a positive, and the the idea behind a lot of the research is that we influence for the good. Manipulation is normally associated with influence, but it's influence for um, self-motivated gain. Um, and and then we, we come into all kinds of other in-between categories where um, we might know that it's happening to us. So if, if we know it's happening to us, is it manipulation? Is manipulation done in a, in a secret hidden way yeah or and is it something else when someone puts pressure on us so is, is that persuasion is it is it worse if someone's asking us to give information we we just don't want to give and interestingly um i've been watching the news of late where someone in hollywood has just been accused of yeah. inappropriate behavior and um the media are now asking why did no one say anything why did no why and i've seen several interviews where people are uh, being said well you know we well, you knew why didn't you say um and we had this when other famous cases have happened like yeah. you know why does no one speak and there's all kinds of pressures involved in um, especially bullying behavior in respect to whether we feel that we have the freedom to open up uh, and divulge information or again there's the idea that if if I know surely everybody else knows or whose place is it and again these are all interesting things to explore that are we a a transparent um are we a transparent workplace are we a transparent society can we say things and will we feel like we're heard um whose fault is it if someone doesn't speak out when they should speak out which again is the kind of I don't know, sometimes I watch and I think, is is that really what's important at this point in time or is it more important that we work out what's happened, who needs support um, and then maybe come back to some of the issues that are being discussed right now as to how do we stop it happening again. So I'm very much into how do we prevent people feeling that they don't have a voice and how do we make sure people are heard and at the same time, um, because we mentioned um, fake news, we mentioned gossip, we mentioned innuendos, all of those things, we need to somehow have a way of allowing people to communicate, yeah. but not believing everything on first mention, but believing enough that we we go and find out whether something's true or not. But we're in, we're in such a fast society these days, um, most of us. I don't know if you know of Kahneman's work, he talks about fast thinking, slow thinking. Most of us are are probably never checking what we're told, never thinking about looking to see whether that's um, actually based in fact or not. So we hear things and then we repeat them and then, you know, there's research in terms of metaphor that shows if you repeat something enough, whether it's true or not, it becomes that person's fact. All of these things feed into... Why we're easily influenced versus manipulated versus persuaded—all of those things.
0: Yeah, and, and there's a there's a spectrum in that, and I, I do love my spectrums, but we'll 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 come back to that another day. Um, okay, so uh, impression management strategies then.
1: Okay, we've mentioned a few, but was we're was going to say we have, name.
2: yeah.
1: Um. So. Um, again if we're thinking strategic impression management and people are interested in that side of things then they might be interested in some work that uh, Tedeschi and Melbourne did where they identified tactical impression management strategies and so they divided them up into defensive impression management tactics and assertive impression management tactics that's
0: that's an interesting language distinction on its own
2: Absolutely. And it gets
1: really interesting in terms of what you think people then do. So defensive, and it probably comes out of this notion that you, we talked about having to repair or or restore an image. And so the defensive impression management tactics, a lot of them are to do with making, making something right. Um, in some way. So excuse making comes under here, reasons, justifications, disclaimers, so I mentioned Benoit stuff, some of the image um, repair strategies or image restoration strategies that are part of this, how do we put something right? And then you've got assertive tactical impression management, um, which can be used by powerless and powerful. So it's not assertive in the powerful sense so uh, someone who's not got a lot of power might decide to use an assertive tactic like ingratiation so they ingratiate themselves with someone they they make sure they're helpful they make sure that they're paying compliments they make sure that um that they do things in such a way to aid their boss for example they would be ingratiation tactics um intimidation tactics are normally associated with the much more powerful yeah um and so um all kinds of behaviours fall under that, some of which we've just been identifying. And then we talked about interviewing. So some of the things we might think about there is self-promotion tactics. So what do we do in order to come across a certain way in an interview? So so if you think about self-promotion in an interview context, you might do selective self-presentation. So that might look like, um, I'm I've, <laughs> I'm going to say exaggerating, and it, and it gives the sense that I'm saying people don't, Speak the truth, and I'm not saying that I'm saying we give our best side, so exaggerating responsibility for positive life experiences and achievements. So that's where my we example came from earlier where we talked about i'll ask somebody what part of the we are you but in a nice way obviously um uh, other ways of doing some promotion are to give something pronounced value or significance so that you emphasize its importance and it truly might have an importance within a company for example but it's it's the thing that gets bragged about
2: um
1: you might um do what's called basking in reflective or reflected glory so someone else you're associated with is doing a particularly well i think we had an example of this in the paper that we talked about yeah where
2: um
1: the team manager was complimenting uh one of the uh, female members of staff for doing something really really well and then said you know like take your time back and we talked about taking the time at being a, a, an acknowledgement of a personal face but what's interesting in terms of what he was also doing in impression management terms is by saying positive things about his team he was also Reflecting in the glory that this is his team yes. and that even though there's individuals in that team are doing well you know isn't it great that they have such a team manager that pulls it all together and makes sure everything works well so again and, and, and it, also
0: it, a great team manager that acknowledges and celebrates the yeah. um, the achievements that individuals make
2: yeah
1: absolutely yeah not afraid to share the glory whatsoever <laughs> um, and then you might emphasise um, so we, we mentioned the film with Chris Gardner I think he yeah. was called Um, the The Pursuit of Happiness yeah and um, he he gives a long list of traits that you expect someone to talk about in an interview context, and I can't remember the exact list, uh, but it's an excuse for people to go and look at the film again. But the, the things like um, sincerity, dedication, responsibility—so you find a way. And and it's not the case that you just list them off because that would be odd behaviour. In um, it's okay for a CV, you wouldn't do it in an interview, but you'll find a way of signalling that you're um, you're a credible individual who is dedicated, who can do teamwork, who takes their part of their role very responsibly? And you'll have all these examples that do that kind of self promotion impression management that we're talking about. And then physical appearance means that you also have to think about it, not just in terms of what you're saying, but matching what you're saying to how you look and and taking on that role. Ingratiation, I mentioned already, but thinking of things like um, expressing an opinion that might not be yours, but because you're in an interview context, for example, you align it. So you do your homework, work out who's there, and you align your opinions, your beliefs, your values to the company. Yes. Because you don't want to have well you would hope you don't want to work for a company that has opposite values um but again the obvious one about ingratiation is that doing the flattery stuff self-protection is more like um excuses um apologies but you might then justify it you might do because you asked me whether any of this is linked to deception it tends to start being linked when we start to engage in what i'm calling information filtering so you you provide information that makes X look good and you might miss out some information that it might be useful to know
2: um yeah.
1: but it's not going to help you um which is different from um, falsifying information so saying things you know to be untrue yeah that was a wrong impression management tactics
2: okay
0: wonderful thank you and and I, and I guess sometimes there there may there may or may not be any intent behind it so if I think back to our ingratiation basking in the glory of a team meeting example Um, whilst that manager might be able to might be able to bask in the glory of what that person in the team has achieved that might not be their outward deliberate intent
1: and this is where i think um it's different in a workplace setting versus if we write about it in an academic paper for example because we can point out all of these things are happening and provide evidence of it but we can't say that we knew um, that was that person's intent. So we have to suggest that these are all possibilities, and we can provide scenarios where it might make more sense. So, if the person given the compliment is actually a really bad boss, yeah, um, that um, but then talks about what a great team, then then you've got grounds to think, hang on a minute, um, it, it's we didn't we did well in spite of you, not because of you, um, but again, it's not. We're not inside someone's head saying, well, this is what they were thinking and this is what they were feeling at that point. We're looking for evidence and we're looking for as much supportive evidence as possible to say these are the probabilities and out of these it's likely that this was happening in this context. But we allow for the fact that someone could have plausible deniability.
2: Yeah.
0: And I guess that, you know, coming back to your um, your example of the of the manager, I guess that's why my TV shows like The Office are so funny. So you get yeah. you get David Brent and his uh, in the character that he plays, um, doing examples of, of, of what we've talked about.
1: And I think it's because we can all uh, think of someone. You're going to relate that, to it, yeah. Yeah, that we think, oh my word! Um, and it's funny because it's a caricature. Um, it's it's not what works in most places, in, in particular workplaces, most of the time, because the, the, it just wouldn't run. Or you'd need such a great team underneath that it literally was in spite of. But yeah, I can think of people who I associate with those kind of people, but they're not always like that.
0: No. Okay, so we, we've we're, we've covered a whole host of ground, um, and, and, and we've already left what three topics I think to explore: <laughs> in, influence, reality paradigms, and. Oh, something else I can't remember now. So, um, we'll we'll definitely have a, um, a, a an episode two of Dawn Archer on the podcast. Um, before we pull that, before we pull it together, though, is there anything else then that you think you you're thinking, feeling, or want to say about the topics that we have discussed or explored?
1: I think that um, we touch almost at the tip of the iceberg and what we talk about. So, I think it's great that you offer. Um, people to to go and follow certain things through and uh, this area in particular there's a lot that really uh, relates to the workplace but uh, I think it's sometimes nice to also look beyond the workplace and see how this might also be occurring in other places that we we don't associate this kind of impression management with just to give us a a, a sense of um, we can be doing it and we can be doing it intentionally but we might be doing it and someone else assumes we're doing it and we think very differently. Um, The other thing I'd be interested in is if you get feedback um, in terms of what's useful in the workplace, Um, I'm, as you know, very interested in taking what we do in academia into various professional contexts. Um, And sometimes that means thinking a little bit about the different languages we use. Um, so that we know that we can find a common language or a common way of explaining things. So if people have things that they think would be useful uh, for us to think about or or they think that this might be useful because or this is an area that you're not sure whether people have looked at, um, those are the things that it would be great for me to hear about.
0: Okay, And, and how can people get hold of you if they wanted to get hold of you direct?
1: Well, I'm not very difficult to find anyway, but I'll put my contact details um, on the piece of paper um, where you're going to give all the references.
0: Oh, the show notes. Okay. Yep. That sounds Mm -hmm. good. Okay. Uh, Anything else then?
1: I can't think of anything else, unless there's something you want me to say that I haven't quite managed to say appropriately. No,
0: no. See that, <laughs> and, and there you go. And you knew exactly what you were doing there, Mrs. Um So um, yes. So if we, if you can send me any references that you've that you've got already for the things that we pull together again, books, and if you have them non-paywalled um, papers, that'd be awesome. That'd be really good. Um, and. I just want to say thank you really i i agree um tip of the iceberg stuff so back in whatever year it was i think it was 2013 or 2014 no it probably was like earlier than that yeah 2013 i think I, I, yeah so it, I, it
1: may have even been 2011 which is scary
0: well that was so, so that's when we first met but for the, one of the kind of defining moments for me was when you started talking about this concept of face and face okay. work. And um, well, so you, you built us up into it slowly. So we started off with the cooperative principle, then into, I think, Leach's work, then into um, Brown Levison, then into Goffman. So you kind of, you sequenced it in nicely. And there's me just kind of name dropping, clanging stuff into the podcast. But anyway, <clears throat> um, I but the, uh, the implications, I think, for the workplace for this work are just massive. This stuff just happens everywhere and all the time without any awareness. And for me, it leads to misunderstandings, miscommunications. Um, it it restricts and enables people to do stuff which isn't good um, because we don't consider some of these facets and some of the aspects in uh, in what we do. So the more I can do to help people in the workplace understand more about what's happening and what's, what's going on, and getting as as thorough an understanding of that as possible then that's what I'd love to do that would be that would be a good thing it so would be Thank you very much then, uh, Dawn. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for coming on the Emotion of Web podcast. And if uh, anybody wants to contact Dawn, then if any of our regular listeners or new listeners to the podcast, if you want to contact Dawn, all the contact details you'll find in the show notes, which you can get from iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. So thank you very much for listening to today's episode. Thank you very much, Dawn, for coming on and taking part. Thank you. And yeah, if you want to get in touch, you can find me on Twitter at Phil Wilcox, or you can message us through the show. Oh, and if you'd be ever so kind, if you've enjoyed this episode today, leave us a review on iTunes, um, because that helps other people find this podcast, but it also uh, helps bump us up the podcast ratings too. So thank you very much, and I'd be very grateful if you could do that. Everyone's laughing at me; that's not fair. So thank you very I'm much. I'm
1: just thinking about how many uh, tactics that.
0: People are listening to going. Oh, it's that! Guess what he just did then? Look, he did. Good. He did ingratiation, He did.
1: This. Very good reasons,
0: of course. <laughs> so, on, on that note, having been criticised for my um, no, not criticised. That's not the right word. Uh, on that note, on that note, we'll leave it there. So, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back soon. You've been listening to the emotional work. Written, recorded, and presented by Phil Wilcox. Edited together by Simon Leverton. You can find more information at emotionatwork.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at, at Phil Wilcox. Thanks for listening.